Hi, this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and welcome to the top nine most popular Breaking Money Silence podcast series. Today, drumroll please, we have number one, the most popular podcast that's been on the Breaking Money Silence podcast since inception. It's an interview that I did with Ellen Rogan. Ellen Rogan is a New York Times bestseller. She co-wrote The Picture, Your Prosperity book. She's an acclaimed speaker. Um, She is an expert and veteran in the financial services industry, a certified financial planner, and just an all-around kind of cool woman. So we talked about how to trust your gut when it came to making financial decisions. So take a listen to this encore episode with Ellen Rogan. When there's lots of bad news out there and stress and, you know, if there's physical stress with along with money stress, it's easy to fall into that downward fear-based cycle. And, you know, as someone who's, if you're in business or you're even just making decisions with your own personal finances, that worry and angst is really dangerous. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. Today, I am joined by Ellen Rogan. She is a colleague of mine who does wonderful work in the world of women and wealth. And today, she is going to join us to talk a little bit about the money and emotion connection and how that impacts not only women, but their partners and different generations. So thank you, Ellen, for coming to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Oh, I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah. So the first thing that I'm curious about, and I didn't warn you I was going to ask this question, is you call yourself an abundance activist. Can you tell the audience what that is? Yeah. An abundance activist is someone who's out there in the world, shifting the conversation around money from one of fear and scarcity and aggressive competition to one that's more um, optimistic and positive and with the knowing that there's more than enough to go around a generosity focus. And I really started this in the last recession when I realized how understandably but freaked out people were and knowing how that limits you in terms of your ability to see opportunities out there. And I'm not saying I can be a little too optimistic sometimes for people. With our book, they, one of the reviewers called it relentlessly upbeat, but I kind of loved that um, to be thought of as optimistic when it comes to money. But the other side of that is if you're what you, some people say realistic or to focus on the difficult parts of it, I think it really keeps you from seeing the opportunities out there. 
And just to remind people who are listening in, your book was not just a little old book. It was a New York bestseller, New York Times bestseller, called The uh, Picture Your Prosperity, Smart Money Moves to Turn Your Vision into Reality. So Thank I you. think we need upbeat when it comes to money. Yeah, especially, you know, the, when there's lots of bad news out there and stress and you know, if there's physical stress with along with money stress, it's easy to fall into that downward fear-based cycle. And, you know, as someone who's, if you're in business or you're even just making decisions with your own personal finances, that worry and angst is really dangerous. You know, I, I know you are such a deep expert in this area, but there's been studies that have shown when people are super freaked out about their money, their IQ actually drops. So you're unable to make a good financial decision. So this is really important. It may sound like fluffy and lovely, you know, like, oh, that's so nice. She's so optimistic, but it's actually a really important financial strategy to find ways to have self-calming skills and to be more optimistic about your situation. And what's funny is because I'm a consultant to the financial services industry, not someone who's worked in it uh, like you have in the past, I don't think that's too fluffy. I think that's really where we need to go because one of the things that I've noticed over the course of time, and certainly you have as well, is that money and money management is always thought of as this intellectual analytical skill and that having emotions around money is actually a bad thing. And so tell me what your thought is about that and the role emotions can play in someone's financial life and financial health. Yeah, so it absolutely has been thought of as a bad thing, like, oh, you can't be emotional about this. I mean, first of all, that is a ridiculous statement. Everybody is emotional. <laughs> like, we all have stuff around money, and some of it's healthy, and some of it's less than healthy. But when you can be really clear on how you're feeling about things and move away from that terror that sometimes people can feel around their money, you are much better able to make good decisions. And I think it's really instructive. When I was a financial advisor working with individuals on their financial plans and money management, I used to really listen deeply to someone's level of comfort with things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I wouldn't, you know, if they were just saying they were scared because they were uninformed formed or needed more education or confidence. It wouldn't be like, I'm like, okay, just keep your money in a savings account. But there was times when I talked to people that were so terrified and would lose sleep at night that if their investments went down, that I knew it would almost be abusive to put them in a portfolio that's too aggressive. Like it's not worth it for someone to make an, a few extra percentage points on their portfolio if they're going to be so nervous at the ups and downs in the market. And as an advisor, I thought it would be much better to slowly educate people over time and see what they're easing up in their risk level. And maybe they'll never get there. You know, the risk of being so analytical with this, and I think there's less of this now, but there used to be like, you take your age minus 100, and that's the percentages you should be in, or people tend to think if you're older, you should have more conservative investments. I remember working with a woman who negotiated herself a beautiful divorce settlement, lots of money, more than her attorneys thought she could get. And yet she was so afraid of she knew this is what she had. She was 35 when she got divorced or 36, something like that. And 
So at that age, you could think like, you've got plenty of time and you've got plenty of money. We had her portfolio be more conservative because she was nervous about this. It wasn't worth it. She's like, I'll live on less. Like she's a numbers person. She got it. So I think it's crucial that people check in with their comfort level um, on both extremes. So, so let me ask you this, because you're talking about terror and fear, and certainly that is problematic, and it is part of what uh, financial advisors or individuals, women, need to kind of look at when they're looking at you know, their portfolio and looking at how they're using money and how they're relating to money. But does it happen with other feelings that are, are less intense? Yeah, was, the other side could be, um, uh, and almost if we're going to the extreme of where maybe it's not healthy, is this extreme, like everything's going to always be fine and I need to take risks. Is there's this rush that they get, almost like a gambling kind of rush. And I worked with uh, a few clients, not many, because that wasn't how I screened. That wasn't who I really attracted because it wasn't where I thought my biggest strengths were, but that were so concerned about missing out on something, they might've been a little bit blind to and taking too many risks that would put them in a difficult situation. So like most things when it comes to financial health or, or anything around our health, it's really about balance, about using that. I always talk about emotions as using the emotional data to figure out an additional piece. The numbers are important, but then there's emotional data. And it's the blend between the two that really makes sense. Now, one of the things I do want to ask you, because you are no longer a financial advisor, you're now working as a speaker, a coach, a consultant. But when you were an advisor, and you've certainly been in that industry for a long time, why do you think it is that it's so hard for that industry to accept emotions and the second part of that is, you know, this idea that somehow as women, we're bad or we don't really get finances because we're in touch with our emotions. Like those two things, I, you can hear the frustration in my voice. I'm like, why haven't we gotten that already uh, in this world? Do I have permission to make a sexist comment, Kathleen? You, you do. <laughs> we're breaking money silence, Ellen. Yeah. So the first thing is, why haven't we looked at emotions? So still today... I think it's still 85% of financial advisors are men. One of the things I was researching recently was how much money is actually like the actual management of money. 99% of money that's managed in this country is managed by not just men, but white men. Wow. 99%. I mean, it's surprising. Sorry to cut it. It's surprising, but it's not surprising. I know. It's disturbing. And it's, it, to me, it's just odd because- like what other industry that deals with the public has that big of a percentage? Doctors have changed, lawyers, accountants, but anyway. So I think that if we're generalizing, because this is not true for all women and it's not true for all men. So I'm putting that like disclaimer out there. But in general, I think women tend to be more comfortable feeling their emotions and expressing their emotions. And this has been a predominantly male industry managing the money. And it just is logical to them that, of course, you would do it that way. And I think there'd be people that would argue with us saying like, no, we would, should not have emotion in there because that's when people buy high and sell low. And that's true, but I don't think that's what you and I are talking about. We're not talking about gut reaction, impulsive decisions. We're talking about it being part of the information that you use to be making sound financial decisions and setting a plan that makes sense for you for the long run. 
Absolutely. And so with the women part, I, I don't know if I've heard your sexist statement yet, so maybe I'm not picking up on the sexist part. I mean, it's just a fact that if 99% of the men are managers is it, white It's men, not sexist to say that they're less in touch with their emotions? Okay. Oh, well, maybe. <laughs> Sorry. I've been in this Maybe it's a generalizing time. thing with a little bit of judgment, like that that's not good. So. Got it. And so what, what I will say as a follow-up, and I, you know, my sense is you'll agree, is I think part of it is how we've been socialized. So it isn't that men aren't capable. It's just more it's discouraged, which is, you know, there's a flip side and another Breaking Money Silence podcast on that because that's not healthy for your relationship with money either to be so analytical that you don't factor in kind of your emotional experience or you deny your emotional experience. So to get back to kind of emotions and money and the work that you do, one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, as the next generation comes up, so millennials, um, Gen Z, and a lot of them are using technology. A lot of them are, you know, very savvy. And I'm just wondering, how is that going to impact our ability to talk to young people about the money and emotions connection and help them with the type of work that you're doing? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because it's just easy for them to think about going to an online provider for money management. Many of them would feel comfortable with that. We also know that the anxiety levels around money for young people are very, very high. You know, some of the millennials started in the workforce during the last recession and the generation that's following them are certainly everybody's dealing with what's the uncertainty that we're dealing with now. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see the connection that they make. And I'm so thrilled you're having this conversation because I don't think it's talked about enough with money and planning. Because if they're used to all this online service, which can be great, but there's not necessarily any kind of conversation around emotion with that, then they're dealing with it on their own or with their therapist or maybe with their friends or their parents. And I think it's... Um, an important issue to be discussed is how can younger people feel at peace and calm with their money with this sense of uncertainty and constantly things changing for them, um, as well as being able to use that to make good financial decisions. Right. I, I think that one of the things that might surprise people who are listening in is that millennials are so stressed about money because part of the narrative that you hear, and it's not true in my experience, again, generalization, but you know, this idea that somehow they're entitled and they're lazy and they're, you know, don't worry about money. And I think, wow, any millennial that I've talked to has not represented that. And it may be that, you know, the subset that reaches out to me is the type A really driven kind of person. But um, I do think that the narrative and what actually is happening for young people and the next generation after them is different. And so, you know, the question becomes, and I don't think you and I have an answer, but is as we go more virtual, all generations, but certainly the next generation, more virtual, more tech, more AI, how do we make sure that there's a place for these conversations? It's a big question. And so in addition to the big questions around how are we going to change an industry, how are we going to change a society to break money silence more, I want to get really granular right now. And I want to help people who are listening to the podcast understand what can they do to tap into what you call money intuition? And how can they use this or these skills to improve their financial life? 
Yeah, and I, I really like shifting. I think when you had asked me before, like, are there other positive emotions? I think when I think of money emotion, it immediately goes to ones that are less pleasant. And for me, money intuition is that inner wisdom that we all have that I think doesn't get acknowledged and or exercised enough because most people are totally in their heads when it comes to money because we've been taught that's the way to do it. You have to be analyzing things. You have to do your research. You have to have some kind of model around what you're doing. And yet, I think most people would know that this gut instinct that we have is something that's really important. And you might think, oh, in business, going with your gut can be important, but somehow dealing with your money, it's like, oh, but not with that. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. So it's really tapping into what you know is true and how you can start to make some decisions from that point. Now let's take a short break. I am so excited to tell you about my new online course, Negotiating Your Fees with Confidence. If you are someone who avoids talking about money with your clients at all costs, this online course is for you. You will learn the skills to master your negotiation mindset so you can clearly and confidently communicate your fees to your prospects, your clients, and your colleagues. You will walk away with five steps to become a better negotiator. And at the completion of this online course, you'll have an opportunity to do a one-on-one coaching session with me. So I hope you sign up for negotiating your fees with confidence. Simply go to breakingmoneysilence.com backslash negotiating and sign up today. Let's get back to the episode. So a couple of things that people can do is first of all, in order to tap into that other wisdom system, that other intellect system, not our heads, but our um, hearts or our guts, it's important to lower the chat level in your head. Oh, tell me how to do that, Ellen, because I could use a little of that. Right. We all could, right? We have 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day and most of them aren't positive and you might not even realize this. Just a quick aside, whenever I would give that statistic, I would always have this thought, this thought about the thoughts in my head, like, oh, most of yours aren't positive, but I'm such an optimist they are in me, which is like so ridiculous. And a year ago when we could be, you know, somewhere in person, I did a seven-day silent retreat in this beautiful retreat center. And I really got quiet and started to be able to observe my thoughts. And I had tons of like crazy, ridiculous thoughts. They'd just come in and out, you know, disasterizing thoughts. Like, what if I fall in this creek and no one finds me? And then I'd go on to the next one. But so the point is we're having these thoughts all the time and our, our um, mind can get so busy. It's like that too chatty person that you know that you just want to say, shut up. I Stop <laughs> talking. You're making me crazy. But that's what happens in our heads. So if you can have a contemplative practice, you know, for me, it's I have a meditation practice that I've had for many years and I sit quietly for, you know, depend, depending on the day, 20 to 60 minutes a day. That's a lot for people. It can be let's just take a couple breaths. You know, your breath calms your nervous system. So if we just inhale and exhale, calms your nervous system. It actually slows your heart down. When you slow your breath, it tells your body that, oh, it must be, it must be something to relax about. So your heart slows down. 
it oxygenates your brain. So it can just be a few breaths, can be being in nature. And the more, and it's really important to do that. So meditation of whatever form, and there's so many kinds. It's like, do you like Zumba or do you like kickboxing? There's a million different kinds of ways you can slow your mind through meditation. It can also be um, journaling, which I always was resistant to this till I started typing my journals because it was like, ugh, it was so much work. And I have all these books, these beautiful journals all over my house and my office that I never use. And um, so it can just be, and this is really where I got in touch with how much money intuition I have is through journaling. And I just would start a prompt. Yeah. I'm really curious because two things, two reactions, and I know you have one more tip for our audience. One is when you talk about meditation, I think, you know, I'm a huge nature person and I think about, you know, I go to Pilates twice a week and if nothing else, just breathing for an hour and sitting in, in a kind of a meditative state is really valuable to me. The other thing is when you talk about journaling, I'm actually surprised about the typing because I am such a writer by nature. I know you are as well, but longhand. And so, you know, that may speak to my generation. It may not. Uh, but with the typing, you know, I think that's important for people to know that there's not a right way to journal. There just may be your way to journal and whether it's typing. I mean, what do you think about somebody who's more artistic that basically says, well, oh I just God. want to draw yeah. pictures. I don't want to write words. I think there's beautiful benefits of that. And I think I've read studies in the past that it's better to do it longhand, but not better than not doing it. <laughs> right? So if you're never going to, and I love the idea of someone's art or their journals or pictures, it's, that's beautiful. It accesses a totally different part of your brain. And I think that's a fabulous thing to do. And if people can do it longhand, you know, when I was um, going through really big stressful periods of my life, I would journal and just get crap out of my mind. Yeah. And, and so that wasn't the same kind of journaling I'm talking about. That's like, I'm angry, blah, 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 or I'm struck. And then I never looked at it again because I just wanted to get it out. So and to clarify, so to clarify, what type of journaling is the money intuition journal? Yeah, so what if you could imagine, conjure up, that you were actually able to have a conversation with money? Like, what if you were to just pretend, money, hi, it's Ellen. What do you got for me today? And that's, you know, it started as a result. I'd been journaling for years, just more about like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What do I need to do today? Those are kind of my regular prompts. How can I be of service? And then I just started journaling with money and I get these really interesting responses back. Uh, you know, like, gosh, what do you think I should do about this? Or what, I mean, for me, because that's what I write and talk about, what messages do you want me to share with people? So when I wrote my book, I used to think I was really bad at coming up with metaphors and my co-author was much better. And I'm like, okay, let's stop telling myself that story. What if I wasn't bad at metaphors, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden things would pop into my mind. So it's something you can play with. You don't have to be super serious about it. If you do it often, that's great. If you do it once in a while, that's great too. It's interesting because when I teach at Bentley University, the psychology of financial planning course to uh, soon to be CFP students, one of the assignments is for the intensive week that I was teaching that they journal with money 
for the whole week. And really? it's very interesting to watch different people's reaction to that. Most people get something out of it. I only have one uh, student, an older uh, gentleman who's like, you know what, Kathleen, waste of time. But everybody else, and I respectfully, like that's not his tool. Um, I think it can be a really cool thing. So you mentioned a meditative practice, journaling, and getting in touch and writing and connecting with money. What's the third idea? Yeah, I want to give you the third one. Can I just drop one more thing about yes. journaling in? There was studies that have been done that have shown they had two groups of people that were laid off from work. And one group was instructed to journal for 20 minutes a day for five days. And the other group was not given that instruction. And six months later, the group that journaled, 85% of them had new jobs and only 23% of the other people didn't. So this isn't, um, so there's like some research behind how important this is. So I just wanted to throw that in. I thought of that when you said about the skeptical gentleman, which because no, it's not for everyone. And that's the point is finding the things that work for you. Right. So my last uh, recommendation with this is start to play with your intuition with really low stakes things. Like uh, this might be trickier now if people aren't driving to the office but it might be like what to have for dinner. But what I'll do, there's probably uh, many, many different ways I could get from my office to my house. And I would always go the same way. And then I started playing with like, well, should I turn left here or go straight? And just like going with that, just impulse, you know, is this going to be better or that? And it's not even whether it's proven to be better or not, but it's honoring that I'm listening to that part of me. And that way, the more you get practice with listening to that, then you can feel more confident with things that maybe feel like a bigger life decision. It strikes me almost as if you're building up that muscle. Like if you go to the gym and build up a certain part of your body or whatever, you're building up your intuition muscle. I love that. I know it's not surprising that I love what you have to say, but I really, I think this is so practical and so important. So where can people find out more about how to work with you, how to access some of these tools, how to buy your book? I'm sure people yeah, are probably gonna- the best place is to go to ellenrogan.com, E-L-L-E-N-R-O-G-I-N.com. And if you go to ellenrogan.com forward slash goodies, there's some meditations you can download. They're all complimentary, just some, some videos there that might be helpful for you. And one of the best things about more staying at home is I've been writing a lot more and, uh, getting some interesting, I think are interesting blogs out there. So there's that on my website as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for once again, breaking money silence with me, Ellen. Ellen Rogan, your joy to uh, chat with and let's continue the conversation. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for listening to that last episode. It's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. And I just wanted to tell you about the Breaking Money Silence Learning Lab. I'm really excited to let you know that I am going to help women entrepreneurs and female business owners break money silence around negotiation. If you have a fear of asking for what you're worth, if you want to learn more about the psychology of negotiation, or you just want to check it out because you're curious, go to breakingmoneysilence.com and then go to the learning lab tab. You can sign up for the community, get a free course and check it out. Once again, that's breakingmoneysilence.com, learning lab tab, And I will see you there. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. 
If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.